in order to be simple and to, I think, be also successful as a brand, you want to deliver on what you promise. And every time that you don't deliver on what you promise, which is basically a broken promise, is a moment of not just dissatisfaction, but you know, a moment where the customer can go elsewhere, can lose the loyalty and trust that they have in you. And so one, you need to communicate, but then you also need to make sure that the communication and what you're communicating is completely aligned to what you'll then be able to deliver to people. Welcome to the Simple Brand Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you create simple experiences for your customers and for your team members. Each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with business leaders and authors who will teach you how to differentiate your business with the one thing your customers need the most, simplicity. Your customers live in a complex world. Let's make it simple. Now, here's your host, Matt Lyles. It's the most wonderful time of the year. All right. If you know me, you know I love Christmas. And Christmas came a little early for me this year. I was given an early Christmas present. And great news, I get to share this present with you. I hope you're as excited about it as I am. Okay, yes, I'm excited about each and every one of my episodes of the Simple Brand Podcast. But this, this right here, is the most excited I've been for any one episode. And I'm thrilled that I finally get to share it with you. I don't know if you know this, but there's a group of people who love simplicity even more than I do. It's Siegel and Gale. They're the real simplicity experts. They studied the simplest brands in the world, and they rank them in their world's simplest brand study. And this isn't just a study of a handful of people. No, they ask more than 15,000 people across nine countries in the U.S., Europe, Asia, India, and the Middle East to evaluate brands and industries on their simplicity. And the last time they released this study was three years ago. So a lot of people, like me, Matt Lyles, have been curious to know how consumer expectations and the need for simple experiences has changed over the past few years, especially given how the pandemic has changed so much of how we operate and has changed so much of what we expect from brands. So we've been curious about that until today. Today, Siegel and Gale just released their latest World's Simplest Brand Study. And I was able to get a sneak peek into the study earlier this month and sit down and talk about it in depth with Siegel and Gale's very own Brian Rafferty. Brian's the head of Siegel and Gale's business analytics and insights practice, and he leads the charge in the World's Simplest Brand Study. Brian and I talk about what we can learn from the study, including how customers' expectations have changed over the years, who's doing simplicity really well today, and the benefits that businesses can get when they deliver simple experiences. So here it is. Here's my interview with Siegel and Gale's Brian Rafferty. Hi, Brian. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Matt. Nice to speak with you. Yeah, it's nice to speak with you as well. I am so excited. I was telling you this earlier. To me, talking about the world's simplest brand, this is like early Christmas present for me. I'm so excited. <laughs> well, I'm happy to hear that. Not many people tell me that. You're an exception, but obviously a, a nice one to have. <laughs> this is what I live and breathe and teach, and I want to make sure that I have the latest understanding, the latest lessons, the latest stats that can help persuade people to understand why simplicity is so important. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, that's why we do the study. We hope that obviously not just to show which brands do well and maybe which brands don't do so well, but really also to sort of see what the, really what the benefits are to providing simpler experiences. That's it. That is it. But before we get into the study, I want to talk about your career and what you've seen over the long haul. So I'd love to understand from you, how have you seen branding change in your career and how do you see it evolving in the future? 
Sure, no, I mean, that's, that's a great question. I mean, branding, I do think, has changed quite a bit. Obviously, I've, I've been around for a while. So I'll speak even just to the last 10 years or, or 15 years, but it, it really has moved from being something that was much more focused on communications, if you will. I mean, communications and design, but really sort of focused on sort of crafting things that were more seen as part of marketing to focusing much more on experiences and realizing that the real test for brands is the experience that they deliver. And you can have great marketing, but if your experience is uh, actually not aligned to what you're marketing, you're not going to have a very successful brand or likely a very successful business down the line. So I think that's really what the shift has been, is, is sort of shift from a focus to of more of a communication focus to an experience focus. And I think that's going to continue, I would assume, because that's logical. I think so. Part of what I teach my understanding is that your brand is now defined by the sum total of every little, every micro experience that somebody has with your company. Exactly. In some ways, the sort of the worst thing you can do is to promise, you know, your customer a whole bunch of things and then not deliver on it or to deliver on it inconsistently in the sense that every time that they encounter you, they feel like they're encountering a different company, at which point they don't have any expectation as to what to encounter next time. A lot of it is about the experience, and it's about having an experience that's compelling, but it also that's consistently compelling over time. And I think today in 2021, with all the technology and resources that we have, I think customer expectations are much higher for brand experiences. At the same time, I think it's so much easier for customers to quickly leave a brand today as well. Yes, I think that's true. And I think actually, you know, that's true in the consumer space and in the B2B space with the move, for example, from a technology standpoint to so many things being cloud-based and subscription-based, for example, even in a, from a business standpoint. So I do think that brands have a higher bar to ensure loyalty and thus to focus on these experiences and make sure that they do delight and not disappoint every time. I also think brands need to sort of keep thinking about simplicity and the experience because what is considered fantastic and groundbreaking and one day becomes quickly just expected, as you said, right? Per, for example, smartphones and the iPhone. You know, when the iPhone first came out, I was like, wow, I can do all of this stuff just on this small device. And now it's, you know, people complain if, you know, one of the things that one of the apps doesn't work. That's the other piece, which is, you know, there is no rest for the weary, if you will, that you have to constantly be working at it and constantly sort of rethinking what the experience is going to be and improving it and realizing that also your experience as a brand is going to be influenced by in your consumer's view by all the other experiences that they have. I call that simple never stops. What was considered simple <laughs> two years ago is not simple today. Right. Or it's just expected, right? It becomes a sort of table stake that if you're not delivering it, you're disappointing, but you're not actually really cutting through by doing that. That's right. So that brings us to your world's simplest brand study. And I'm so excited to talk about this, but your last World's Simplest Brand Study was the 2018-2019 study, right? Yeah, correct, actually. I mean, you know, technically, we were supposed to do it last year, but then given COVID and everything going on, it just seemed like too fluid at the time. And of course, we didn't realize that we were still going to be in COVID by the time we were doing it this year. Right. But anyway, so the, at the time, we sort of thought, okay, it's not, you know, because it's the huge study. And frankly, you know, it's, it is actually a big investment for us to do this. So anyway, so we held off until this year, but then did it this year. And actually, in a way, that what I find exciting or at least interesting about the results today, exciting is maybe the wrong word, but is that COVID obviously has had a huge impact on how people view just what is simple or not simple. Obviously, it's had a huge impact on people's lives, but it's also had a huge impact on the way they see brands and also, you know, sort of how they look at experiences in general. So I think... It was interesting to have held off for a bit and now to see this study versus the pre-pandemic one, because often in the past, you know, there haven't always been huge shifts in the sense that, you know, the brands that were sort of in the industries that were kind of at the top would be at the top and the ones at the bottom typically stay at the bottom. And this time around, there have been a lot of shifts. I mean, most notably and in some ways intuitively, you know, a lot of the travel categories and travel brands have sort of dropped to the bottom when... 
they were never at the top, but they were definitely not at the bottom as they are now. Right. I have it in my head. I have my assumptions on how the pandemic has shaped customer expectations around brand experience. But I'm curious, I'd love to better understand any significant changes that you've noticed with simplicity, with customer expectations since the 2018-2019 study. Sure. Well, one of the things that's interesting, I thought, which is is sort of in some ways, uh, potentially a little buried in the results, but is noteworthy is that one of the categories that's never done particularly well and actually had a jump was is the sort of cell phone provider category, which has always been people love their devices and always find the devices simple. People typically have not loved their service providers, if you will. I think that the pandemic actually affected people sort of realized how dependent they were on that during the pandemic. I mean, being stuck at home. Right. And so I think potentially to the credit of those brands, anyway, they, I think they've gotten more goodwill and people have sort of realized in some ways the importance that it's not just a bill, that it's something that's actually providing something of real value to them and connecting them to the outside world. The other sort of big shift or, or sort of interesting shift, and, and that's sort of more driven by the fact that so many of the travel categories dropped to the bottom, but health insurance actually went up. And again, I think that's also pandemic related to some degree in the sense that it's not because every piece of paper that you're receiving for your health insurers suddenly become magically much simpler. Although having worked with, with some of them, I know that many of them are making efforts and are trying to improve that and improve the experience. But I also think that people, again, sort of have seen the the importance, if you will, and, and, and as opposed to seeing only the negative of what health insurance and sort of the health category provides them, they've had a renewed understanding of you know how vital it is to helping them in their life. And health insurance certainly is important and valuable. And I can see how people have recognized its value over the past couple of years. But I'm curious, have any of the health insurance providers showcased anything in the experience they provide that shows that they've recognized the need for simplicity? I do think they've started focusing one sort of on the digital experience. I mean, I think one of the challenges in health insurance in the past is was that piece where there was a real disconnect, I think, between per that, you know, what we were talking about earlier in terms of the history of branding, the sort of communication piece and the experience piece. So you would have communications from health insurance that are sort of showing per most of the health category, you know, people climbing mountains and all of your well-being right. <laughs> and all of that. And then, you know, the experience was typically one that was frustrating, stressful, and, you know, and, not, and not promoting well-being. So I think they've now started to realize that, you know, the experience really has to be thought through. And I think part of that is also realizing digital tools, the idea of pricing transparency, some of them have done a lot of work on that of trying to you know make it clearer to their members exactly how much it's going to cost them ahead of time. So sort of thinking through a bit more what are the pain points that health insurance members have and how can they either use digital tools or other means to overcome them. So I do think there has been quite a bit of work on that. I mean, per what you were saying earlier regarding simplicity being kind of a, an always on journey, if you will, is there's still a ton of work to be done, huge operations with huge paperwork and logistics pieces to them. And so I think that's the biggest challenge in health insurance is to actually even change a sort of small part of the experience in the process is a huge lift that can take many years and a lot of effort. And I think if customers see those improvements, then that certainly helps. And that certainly helps them to, to stay loyal to those providers. Mm -hmm. And I think one of those other points is and to me, this is a big moment of truth when it comes to health insurance providers, and that's with claims, something that a consumer mm -hmm. believes is a legitimate claim and then has to go back and forth multiple times with a provider just to get it approved. That's pretty frustrating. The past couple of years, owning my own business, we had to get a new health insurance provider. And I was so pleasantly surprised with the first few times that we submitted claims and they simply said, okay. <laughs> and to me, that was just so easy. I was like, well, this is great. I love this. Right. No, you're right. And the claims, exactly. The claims process, if you will, that part of the journey, you know, sort of, you know, having a claim that is actually historically, you know, having done research on even the sort of detail of of their health insurance journeys, that is the worst part, right? Across all of the companies typically is that's where the experience 
the best part of the experience is, is finding your plan. The worst part of the experience is, is submitting a claim. So I think the ones that have done it well are the one you described, have focused on that part and realized that the claims process is a key moment that they really need to improve on. Absolutely. All right. Well, so pulling back out of the health insurance category, let's look at a broad level. I'm curious, what do you believe consumers are looking for in a brand experience today, 2021? Well, I mean, I think, and that's how we, in some ways, define the dimensions of, of simplicity. I mean, I think, you know, they obviously want something that's easy and intuitive, is frictionless, if you will, as much as possible. But another part of it, and, and that's what we've seen over the years in terms of, you know, there's a big correlation between simplicity and trust in the sense of people, if if they have a complex experience, they actually feel that it's done on purpose to them, right? And so there's a, a lot of distrust gets created when people have complex experiences, because they don't see that as being something that's by accident or because the brand or company can do any better. They sort of see, oh, well, that's being done to take advantage of me. So I think, you know, the other way consumers look at simplicity is there's, yes, ease, frictionless, but then there's also care about me as a customer and as a consumer, understand my needs, anticipate my needs, ideally, and then even do things per what you were describing as in your encounter with your health insurer, you know, do it in ways that are so easy that it's actually sort of a moment of delight because you're surprised <laughs> it's, that it's as simple as it is, which, you know, sometimes can be just a surprise that it actually is happening at all versus that you're having to jump through hoops per, I think, the example you were giving. So I do think those are the those are the big pieces, right? Sort of ease and frictionless, but then also care about me and then do it in a way that actually delights me and surprises me. And as far as caring about me, as far as caring about a customer, what are some ways that companies can show customers that they care about them, that customers believe that they care about them? I think that's a great question because I think that's, again, something that often, for example, if it's only happening in communications and then the experience disappoints, that's actually having a negative effect and creating distrust rather than trust because the promise isn't delivered on. You know, So um, what you see in many categories is there's a lot of, you know, we're, we're customer focused, we love our customers, et cetera, and then you have a bad experience and you're under delivering on it and then that's creating distrust. So I do think the way to show caring is to actually to my understanding, Amazon's core philosophy is just always think about the customer first. I mean, I'd even criticize that Amazon, that works very well until you actually have an issue where you would need a person, or at least where you know something is a bit outside of the core system of how Amazon works, at which point then it gets really hard, which, for example, happened to me when someone ended up hacking my account. And I don't wish that on anyone because trying to then work with Amazon to, to get your account back is incredibly hard because then you have to deal with people. So I think that's the other piece that I do think in the drive to digitization and, and the cloud and, and you know digital transformation across all these categories, I think sometimes the human element has been a little forgotten, or at least there's been an over-rotation towards sort of the digital self-serve, because there are some times where you actually need to be able to get to people. And I do think sometimes those can be sort of real moments of, if you will, loyalty creation, because if you actually managed to help someone in a moment of exception, let's say, you're likely having a much bigger impact than just fulfilling their needs on a daily basis in the way they expect. Yeah, absolutely. And with our drive to make things more digital, there's still that need for the human connection. And a lot of brands have talked about personalization, personalized experiences so much for, for a number of years. But I think that some of the brands that are doing really well are those that provide what I like to refer to as reverse personalization not just personalizing it for the customer, but showing the customer that there's persons, that there are actual human beings behind that experience. And so if you're trying to work with Amazon to get your account back and it goes beyond just the digital communications, recognizing, oh, Brian, you know, here's Matt. Matt is here to help you with mm -hmm. this. And you realize, oh, there's another person there. I imagine Matt like doesn't work late into the night. I imagine Matt has a family and Matt wanted to have a good Thanksgiving dinner. So I empathize with him and that just makes it a stronger connection to have that, that human element. Mm -hmm. No, I completely agree with you. And, and I think people don't, 
companies that say don't always think about that right because these like contact centers and things like that have always been thought of as just sort of cost centers that need to be reduced when i do think that if you and that is one of the things i think apple did very well you know with those genius bars and the apple stores is having that if you will personification then of the apple experience that then you know drove people to actually sort of feel like oh well this is in the end way different way easier way more personalized to me way of going and buying a piece of electronics than I'm doing it the way I used to do it there you go yeah so when we talk about the 2021 report the 2021 study what benefits do companies see when they focus on simplicity it's the same benefits that have you know that we've seen from the start of the study which is one people are willing to pay a premium if you provide simpler experiences so it's not just something that you're doing to if you will somehow uh, reduce costs or that it's something you have to pay for for no benefit the real benefit is actually will pay more if you provide simpler experiences to them and the premium is actually significant and we even saw this year that the premium actually went up in terms of what people stated they'd be willing to pay. The other one is if you look at the companies that are at the top of the index year on year, and that's why we, you know, we've made this, if you will, mock portfolio of the top brands uh, that are publicly traded at the top of, of the index. They outperform the stock market by a ridiculous amount, and that's because it is brands like Netflix. Uh, now and Amazon and Google. When I look at that stock chart at this stage, well, when I sort of kick myself that it's always retrospective mm-hmm. and that I'm not in asset management <laughs> because I would, I would be retired by now if I had, uh, you know, if I had really uh, sort of invested all my money into it, because it it really is it's sort of amazing how much better they they perform. So there is that's you know the main line to a business is to like why should you focus on simplicity? Is it really it pays? You know, simplicity you're going to make money. By by providing simpler experiences and and this is this is not something that is a a cost. It is actually an opportunity for you to to make more money and drive more loyalty. That's the other piece for your existing customers because that's the other thing we see is customers are much more likely to recommend brands if they're simpler. So so you're both going to drive financial gain as well as obviously the financial gain tied to loyalty. These are the statements that leadership needs, I think, when you're trying to build a case to your C-suite saying, hey, we need to focus on simplicity. We need a culture of simplicity in our company. Everyone needs statistics to help persuade them. So out of all of these, what do you think is the most persuasive to leadership? I would pick is the premium piece because I think that's the one that actually is the added revenue piece, if you will. So it's it's the, the notion that if you are going to actually focus on simplicity, you will be able to actually make more money. You'll be able to charge more for what you do. And what we've seen is all the categories we measure, and that's why it's even gone up this year. It, it ranges from a minimum of, of a sort of 7% up to sort of 15%, depending on the category of what people you know would be willing to, to pay more for if they were being delivered simpler experiences. So to me, that's really the, if you're an executive, that's ultimately what you will care about is the success and growth of the company and and simplicity is really is a means to grow also you know it's not just a means to to improve it's actually a means to grow the business oh there you go did you know that in addition to my podcast and my articles i speak to audiences all over to help them simplify their customer experience and simplify their employee experience i've spent the last few years leading a crusade of simplicity across the globe If you want a winning brand, you have to provide a simple experience to your customers and to your team members. Whether it's a live event or a virtual event, I'd love to partner with you and teach your audience how to do just that. With over a decade in marketing, I know how to hook and captivate an audience. And as a speaker, I know how to connect with that audience. Along with my lessons, I use stories and humor to keep everyone engaged and inspired. Then they leave with the knowledge and next steps to transform their business. As an event planner, you're managing lots of details to give your audience the most memorable event. The last thing you need is a speaker who will make your event memorable for all the wrong reasons. Not only will I leave your audience energized and inspired, 
I'll make it easy for your team to work with me. Hey, if I've built my brand around simplicity, then you know I'm going to make it simple for you. When you visit mattliles.com speaking, you'll find everything you need to know, including details on my topics, promotional materials, and most importantly, a link to connect with my team so we can book your event. So visit mattliles.com speaking. I can't wait to help your audience brand out from the crowd. So are there any results in the report that were surprising to you? This year, actually, I mean, so there was a lot of movement. And a lot of the movement wasn't surprising in the sense that made me actually feel like, oh, well, this makes sense. Because <laughs> right. it's sort of logical that people are going to find travel a hell of a lot more complex. So that was not surprising. I guess that, well, one of the surprises I had is I, I would have thought Uber would have dropped more. And I don't know, you know, part of that is also because of Uber Eats and others. But anyway, that Uber didn't actually drop. Uber actually globally went up. So that, I guess, personally was a bit of a surprise to me, just because I sort of thought, you know, obviously that business went through, you know, there was a huge dip, obviously, once when, when the pandemic hit and everybody was in lockdown. I think the other surprise, but which is a sort of, like, kind of disappointing continued surprise. I mean, it's not a surprise because it's always been the case, but is the fact that actually out of all the travel, car rental continues to be super low. That's been a pet peeve of mine for the course of the study because I actually, I don't think car rental needs to be complicated. (laughs) And I think that a lot of the reasons why the car rental process is complicated is because is both technology related because they haven't updated a lot of their technology, but also is related to, in some ways, a sort of like race to the bottom of base price and then trying to value add price you, you know, with the insurance, et cetera, so that instead of being able to get you quickly in the car, you're basically having to go through a whole rigmarole, you know, at the car rental counter. So the fact that they who should have benefited of all travel should have been a category that survived or benefited the most out of the pandemic because people were no longer able to take planes, but people were still wanting to get out and about if they didn't have a car and rent a car. They mostly didn't manage to, I think, deliver on that. I know that a lot of the reasons for that are so logistical in the sense that all of their fleets, you know, were centered around airports. They typically had sort of reduced, if you will, the footprint within urban areas and, and other places where which were now the ones that were, you know, wanting to try to, to rent cars the most. But anyway, I think to me that was a sort of surprising disappointment that didn't that wasn't a moment where they could actually rise and provide a better experience, if you will. Wow, that's interesting. And and I recall back to my you know corporate career in those days where I was traveling quite a bit, close to 50, 60% of my time. And it got to a point where with one car rental agency, it started to become simpler for me only because I got to that platinum status. Mm-hmm. Because of my status level, I was able to just simply walk out there, walk right up to a car, open it, get in and drive off, basically. But right. that wasn't the case for anyone that was you know, of the lower status. Right. I know, which is so crazy. Exactly. That that experience requires status. You know? <laughs> it's, right. It's, it's, I mean, and, and, and I do think that that's also where the car rental places, you know, missed the boat in a way, because that is also why they got depositioned by Uber and Lyft and the rideshare. Because if you're going to get to the airport and you need to get somewhere, you know, if you can just open the app, click the thing and your Uber drives up, you're going to do that rather than go, oh, you know, I have to go to the car rental place, wait in line. I potentially have to then wait to bring it back. So you're going to wait pretty heavily whether you actually really need a car to rent or whether, especially if you're on a business trip or if you're just going to be better off taking rideshare. Yeah, absolutely right. So I'm curious, where in the customer experience do you see there being significant opportunities for brands to provide more simplicity? Well, I mean, I, I do, you know, to the conversation we were having earlier, I do think there's been a lot of focus and a lot of improvements across different categories on the digital experience. You know, that includes, for example, obviously banking, right, and, and online banking and, and apps for, for banks that have become actually much more intuitive, but also much more functional in terms of the types of things that you can do with them, minimizing, if you will, the, the need for you to, to potentially ever go into a branch. But I do think the place where there's still a lot of 
work to figure things out. Is there, are those moments where you potentially have to jump out or you're, you're encountering something that requires you to have something more than what the designed experience of the digital journey, if you will, of the digital app is providing to you and you need, let's say, an in-person or something else? What you're trying to do or need to do is sort of falling out a bit of the norm that digital piece has been designed to do. I think there's a lot of opportunity there to sort of think through, well, what are those, the, if you will, the multi-touch way of thinking about your consumer experiences or customer experiences and how do you best touch them in the best way at the best time? How do you offer them you know, the, the best way to solve anything? There typically is going to need to be a sort of handoff between you know, digital potentially a real person, potentially at some sort of deeper contact, if you will, um, with, within a company organization. So I think that's sort of the things that could potentially still be improved from an experience standpoint, because I think there's been a lot of focus on the digital. And sometimes that's just gone a bit so far that it's sort of like, okay, we're driving everyone to digital, but we're not sort of thinking through always what, what the other side of it is, if that makes sense. That does. And I think that goes back to what we were talking about earlier about having that customer first focus. So instead of just simply saying, we believe that simplicity means a digital experience across every touch point, it's thinking about the customer first and understanding at each touch point, at each point in the customer journey, how can we be intentional about providing simplicity? And some of those touch points are going to require a different focus or a different modality than others. Exactly. You're completely right. I think exactly. It's it's sort of thinking customer first, not channel first, if you will. And thinking modality, also thinking sort of difference in in customers. I do think a lot of, I guess I'm experiencing it just because I have an aged parent, but I think one of the big challenges is when people age, you know, everything gets way more complex. (laughs) The more people, the older people get typically. They have a harder time, you know, things that children intuitively pick up, older people, you know, either can't pick up at all or anyway have difficulty with. So I think that there's also that piece, which is sort of thinking through different types of, of customers and, and understanding that, you know, what can work for one doesn't maybe always work for the other. So you have to have different options there. And really in thinking customer first, you also have to sort of to have a deep understanding of the different types of customers that that you need to serve. I think it's also being able to show that you know them across every touch point. When you, let's say, have chatted with them on the web, and then next time, for some reason, they call you your service line or they walk into a branch or something else, if every touch point can show that they actually know who you are per that personal experience, understand who you are, understand what you've done previously, that actually, you know, that is really the ultimate simplicity is feeling like that you're, everything you've done in the past, the company slash brand you're interacting with knows and isn't making you having to repeat it or to jump through further hoops to, to try to re-inform them. And I think that forms then a much deeper bond also of loyalty with the customer. Absolutely. It can be so frustrating when a company asks you for a lot of information about who you are, what your challenge is, what your problem is, and you give them that information. And then when you're transferred over or you have a different experience with them and they ask you the same questions and you think, well, I just told you all this. Are you (laughs) asking me again? Yeah, no, exactly. And that not only is that obviously making your life harder, but then it's also disconnecting you, right? In the sense that you're not feeling you're going from, oh, I felt like you knew me to like, oh, well, obviously you don't know me because I have to keep telling you about me over and over again. So I, I think there's also a psychological element to that that then you know drives detachment and not loyalty. And if I think that you don't know me, then I also think that you don't care about me either. Exactly. Yeah. And then I really appreciated what you were saying earlier about really understanding the customer at a deep, deep level. For too long, too many companies have focused on a high level set of demographics and assuming that all customers are the same if you put them into certain categories. And I think it was just yesterday, I saw a really funny view on this that showed if you were to look at Prince Charles and Ozzy Osbourne, 
<laughs> together, both of them have the exact same demographics. They are the exact same age. They're both from the UK. They're both male. They're both, I think, on second marriages, I believe. <laughs> there were a few stats that they were the exact same demographics. But you and I both know that they are completely different people with different needs and different personalities. So you can't just say that customers that fall in different demographics need the same experience. You have to go much, much deeper to understand them. Right. I never heard that, but that's a, that's a great example. And actually a funny one to think of is as you were describing that, it was making me think, well, which one would be the tougher customer to handle? And actually, I think it's probably Prince Charles. But <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Ozzy Osbourne's probably easier going. Well, when we look at the world's simplest brands, who's currently doing simplicity really, really well? I think it is a lot of the ones that have been at the top and, you know, continue to be at, at the top and whose category obviously hasn't been hit or if anything has grown or at least has, has become more successful due to what's happened with the pandemic than before. So it is places, you know, it is like Netflix, it is Amazon, it is Google. I mean, I think Google, it's been the number one global brand in the past, but it's sort of, it's gone back to the top this year. I do think they deserve a lot of actually credit for a number of things. I think one for being unwavering over the years, you know, they never messed up that search bar. Right. They stuck through the whole idea of like, no, this has to be the most direct, simple thing. People are looking for something. We're going to be the person that they come to look for something. And we're going to make that as simple as possible. And they built the whole business then obviously around that, including potentially, because that's the other thing. I mean, and maybe this is a mixed credit, but I mean, that they deserve credit for is the fact that all of the money and businesses that they've built around that is sort of invisible to people because people just go for the experience and they're looking for something and Google's making it super easy for them to find it. And then they're not realizing that per data and privacy and all these other things that they're actually providing value to Google, or at least that their payment to Google is, is not monetary, but it is through the information that they're giving. Google, for example, versus Facebook has also, I think, managed to do a much better job at at least not making people feel like their information is being manipulated when, you know, with Facebook, that's been a lot of, I mean, Facebook, I don't want to single them out, only I think it's sort of social media in general has had that issue with, uh, you know, the notion of like, well, what's happening to my information and what's it being used for? And, uh, you know, are the intentions of its use good or not? When actually Google could have all of those same issues, but they don't come to the fore in consumers' mind, or at least not at all as much. So I, I think they deserve a special commendation actually for, for really sticking to simplicity while actually having a very complex business and doing a lot of you know, extremely complex things, but the front is very simple. You know, back to that idea of customer focus, apart from, yes, if your account is hacked, because that's not as great, but in being a place where you can basically buy anything, it is amazing how they've continued to be sort of so easy. And so, I mean, to really be this destination and they actually, I do think, deserve credit. And I know that they're potentially not for, you know, employee treatment practices. And, and obviously, there were issues in the news regarding that. But from a just general consumer standpoint, Amazon was a, you know, a key, if you will, help, or at least, a, you know, an essential help during the pandemic, because people could get things delivered. And the fact that they managed to keep that going and working and delivering, uh, you know, was, I think, also pretty amazing. I guess one brand, actually, I would talk about, and in some ways, I have, a, again, a bit of a personal pet peeve on it because I had some negative experiences there, but one that's actually done less well than it seems they sort of, it definitely dropped in the US. It wasn't the case everywhere, but is Ikea because Ikea has been a brand that has been seen as simple. I do think they are definitely or have now for a number of years and continue to miss the boat on the digital part of it. And, you know, the other issue they've had in some ways, contrary to Amazon is the whole supply chain piece where even if you would be able to try to order something online from Ikea, you wouldn't be able to get it delivered, likely obviously because certain things were stuck in a port somewhere in China or, or you know, in, in another part of the world, for example. But, but I do think that they are a brand that needs to refocus on simplicity, definitely on the digital aspect and also on linking the sort of supply chain in-store part of the experience to the digital experience and just making it easier for people to find and get things. Because I think a lot of people, I'll include myself in that, and I'm assuming there are many others, 
who would have defaulted to buying certain things at IKEA had to go elsewhere during the pandemic and continue to because of the fact that just you're not going to be able to get them. Right. Yeah. And once you're forced to make a switch like that, then it makes it easier for you to not have to go back to that brand again. Exactly. Because I mean, you know, before this, IKEA would have been my default. I wouldn't have even probably shopped around. I would have sort of thought IKEA first. And then if IKEA doesn't have it, then I would look elsewhere. But now, exactly, with Wayfair and other, you know, now it's like, okay, well, why, why even go to IKEA first? Or even the current assumption is like no point even going to IKEA because it likely won't be there, you know, which is, I I think, a a challenge that they then have. I think one of the interesting things regarding simplicity is in their case, right, that's not just an issue of, of sort of customer management and customer experience thinking. It is also the sort of issue of connecting logistics to that customer experience to communicating appropriate and and in the right way regarding your logistics back to the customer. That is obviously something that's hyper complex, but if you're not thinking about trying to solve for that, it won't happen, at which point then you'll just end up uh, with me with a lot of unhappy customers who've neither getting what they want nor have been communicated to properly. Yeah, communication is definitely part of it because if you don't level set those expectations ahead of time, then when challenges happen, you're already not meeting those customers' expectations. So you have to help help them understand like what the real expectations should be. Exactly. Because that goes back to, and we've seen this actually throughout the years and throughout the study, you really, in order to be simple and to, I think, be also successful as a brand, you want to deliver on what you promise. And every time that you don't deliver on what you promise, which is basically a broken promise, is a moment of not just dissatisfaction, but you know, a moment where the customer can go elsewhere, can lose the loyalty and trust that they have in you. And so one, you need to communicate, but then you also need to make sure that the communication and what you're communicating is completely aligned to what you'll then be able to deliver to people. And unfortunately for brands today in 2021, it is so much easier for customers to lose trust in you today. It can take just one moment. Completely. I mean, that's what actually it's a, that's a further study uh, that I, I, I'm actually interested in doing it. But, you know, we have a, a like many others, we have a social media analytics platform that we use, but I was actually thinking because my theory is that many of these you know issues that then brands have become big right that suddenly sort of blow up happen from small moments and those moments then they'll get echoed by others who've had them and then because of actually social media and anyway the the ease that people have of sort of connecting and, and sort of piling on from an information standpoint today in the world they then can actually become huge issues when they started from some very small issues. Anyway, it was something I've been thinking about because I, I, I was sort of interested in sort of thinking, of looking at social media data and sort of how certain, if you will, quote unquote, scandals, and I don't really mean it that way, but sort of more, you know, more kind of brand issues, right. how they progress. And my theory was that they progress likely from certain sort of small points and then there's certain sort of inflection points, if you will, that then make them blow up. Oh, wow. I'd be interested to see that as well. Well, Brian, I want to take it away from the customer experience. And I want to talk about the other side, talking about employees. And we're in the middle of something, whether we call it the great resignation or, you know, lighter term, the great reshuffling. It's clear that many professionals are leaving their current employers and they're going elsewhere. I'm curious. Do you think a focus on simplicity, an internal focus on simplicity, can help curb this exodus? Well, it's interesting you ask that because you know a number of years ago we did a study um, actually leveraging the the same sample we were using to do the the world simplest brand study to look at, at simplicity in the workplace, and then what we found is that there was a huge pretty much sort of one-on-one correlation between people being engaged with their employer, meaning, you know, brand champions, if you will, of their their employers, and them finding that actually the workplace was simple to work in. Um, And then we saw a big difference between sort of people who saw their workplace as complex versus saw their workplace as simpler. 
in how easy they found it to promote innovative ideas, you know, how likely they were to stay, how likely they were to, to recommend, you know, the place as a, as a place to work. So I do think there is a big connection between, you know, simplicity within the workplace and employee retention, employee you know, satisfaction, whatever, you know, metric you want to use on, on the employee base. I do think that that's a different, I mean, obviously it goes again back to the experience that I think you have to take a different lens on the experience than just thinking about, you know, brands, if you will, trying to to sell things to to consumers. Because I think in the in the workplace, it is about accountability of, of management, transparency of decision making. Obviously, today more than ever, also uh, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and and belonging. So I think that the dimensions, if you will, of simplicity in the workplace are a bit different than the dimensions of simplicity in a in a consumer experience. I think so. Yeah. But there are a few things that, you know, that, that you mentioned that also relate to that customer expectation of simplicity. You know, you're talking about communication, you know, being clear, mm-hmm. I think making processes frictionless, making it easy to get things done, making it easy to be more innovative. That certainly helps. Yeah, no, no, all true. And, and I think, you know, back to the, yeah, the similarities, and to that sort of transparency and clarity of communication, it's also obviously trust, right? Is is the same, right? If you if you have trust in not just management, but also your you know your direct manager, and like I think that's a, a famous saying that people don't leave companies, but they leave managers, and uh, right. you know I, I think that's that is actually true. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, and and trust all around. Trust in trust in management, trust in your direct manager, but also trust in your peers or the other functional areas that you support or collaborate with. Mm-hmm. Yes, it comes down right. to trust, right? Which yeah, and and which then all of that in some ways can also be encapsulated in culture, right? And and in uh, making sure that the you know that obviously companies that have sort of open, transparent, supportive cultures should then be not only seen as simpler, but obviously be fostering that trust more. There you go. Well, Brian, last question for you. If you were to create a five-song soundtrack for the world's simplest brand study, what songs would you include? <laughs> oh, that's a That's a tough question. Well, you know what I would think. I mean, because yeah, I actually, I, it's funny. I I I spoke with someone else actually a, a, a few years back about the idea of sort of music somehow and simplicity. I mean, look, one way of thinking about it is you you could go like you know, punk rock is obviously one of the simpler, <laughs> you know, the, the the simpler musical genres, if you will. Absolutely, and, and something like the Ramones should belong on there because it's uh, it's pretty simple and straightforward. But I would think. To me, I get. I, I, well, look, I could, I could give you sort of specific songs. I guess I don't have specific sort of song titles that all have simple in them. I think to me, it's more actually it would be it, it's music that would have that's actually sort of stripping things down, but at the same time managing to do it in a way that has enough freshness and uh, hook, if you will, that you find it really compelling and. Um, well, look, this is you know, one of my my daughter's favorite one, who I actually I happen to like too, but I'm, I don't think I'm in her demographic. But if you think of Betty Eilish, I mean, I think she would be someone you could see as having in some ways a representative of, of kind of how music can, can have simplicity because her things have incredibly sort of simple, deep beats, if you will, that can feel really simple and streamlined and actually not particularly, definitely not Baroque in any way. But at the same time, I think she manages to to deliver something with an originality and and obviously emotion that makes it really connect. So so I guess I guess those would be I don't know if I give you five songs, but I guess I'd give you the Ramones and Billy Eilish as like two <laughs> two extremes. There you go. You know, and and as you were talking about punk rock, I was thinking, yeah, and and punk rock was very simple and stripped down and streamlined in their approach. Many of them did have compelling hooks, but they were also, you know, punk rock was a disruptor in the music Mm -hmm. industry. And if you think about a lot of the brands that have made it into the world's simplest brands, when they were first introduced on the scenes, like they, they disrupted a lot of their industries. Yeah, that's very true. And actually, you know, at some stage, 
we used to have a separate category for disruptors. And then, you know, we realized a number of years back that, okay, we need to just roll these in because they're no longer disruptors. They're now the leaders. Right. Um, but, but you're right that exactly a lot of them, are, you know, per Amazon or per Netflix, you know, are, are brands that were disruptors and, and were founded under that idea of really wanting to reinvent a category. I love that. I love that approach. And, you know, and then going back to communication and communicating to the customer or the audience what to expect. Almost every Ramon song starts out one, two, three, four. <laughs> you know what's coming. That's true. Exactly. Yeah. They, they definitely deliver on what they promise. Excellent. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Well, Brian, where can people go to learn more from Siegel Gale about the world's simplest brands? Um, well, you know, we, we actually have uh, a website, uh, obviously there's seagullandgale.com and then we'll have a link to it. And you can also find the results there, which is, a you know, there's a separate microsite that you can um, go and peruse and actually sort of see the full list of brands and uh, both from a, a global standpoint, as well as from a country standpoint. And I'll provide a link out to this in the show notes as well. Well, Brian, thank you so much. This was so exciting for me to be able to talk about this. I could talk about this all day long. So Brian, thank you for being here. I know. Well, thank you for having me. And it's, it's always a pleasure to talk about simplicity, especially with, with someone who obviously cares about it as much as you do. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Siegel and Gale's Brian Rafferty. So go ahead, go and learn even more around why simplicity pays at worldssimplestbrands.com. You'll be able to download a copy of the full 2021 report of all the world's simplest brands. You'll learn what they're doing to deliver simple experiences, and you'll be able to get a lot of research and stats to help persuade your leadership and make the case for having simplicity as your strategy in 2022 and beyond. And if you're enjoying the Simple Brand Podcast, go ahead, hit that subscribe button. It's going to make it a lot simpler for you to get future episodes like the next few where I recap some of the best lessons we've learned on the podcast in 2021. We've had over 35 super smart, talented, and insightful guests on the Simple Brand Podcast this year, and we learned some pretty impactful lessons from them all. Some of them taught us how to deliver simple experiences to our customers. Some taught us how to deliver simpler experiences to our people. And some taught us how to simplify how we develop and manage our own personal brands. And I'll be sharing some of the top lessons in these 2021 recap episodes. So go ahead and subscribe. You'll automatically get these episodes as soon as they're live. Until then, keep it simple. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Simple Brand Podcast. Want to make your listening experience simple and automatically receive each new episode? Visit our website, simplebrandpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you're finding value from the Simple Brand Podcast, leave us a rating or review. That helps us get the show to the ears of the people who need it most. Be sure to catch Matt right here next week. Same Matt time, same Matt channel. Until then, keep it simple.